Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So that's what we're going to cover tonight in our verses that we're going to study. Here we see Jesus heal another individual who is oppressed by a demon. But the reaction of the Pharisees isn't what you would think it would be. Now, the people were amazed. And the people, as we see in this passage, were responding by saying, could this be the son of David? By them saying, could this be the son of David, what were they actually saying? They were saying, could this be who? The Messiah. Go back to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Remember the beginning of our study. In Matthew 1, 1, we see the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And if you remember, we laid out that Matthew was explaining to the, the Jewish readers that Jesus not only was a descendant of Abraham, he was also a descendant of David, and he is the Christ, the one that was prophesied about. So the people are amazed at his power to cast out demons. This guy had a demon so much so that actually the guy couldn't speak or see, and Jesus cast the demon out, and the guy immediately sees and speaks. And the people are like, could this be the son of David? Could this be the Messiah? But the Pharisees said what? Yeah, he's casting out these demons by the prince of demons, by Beelzebul. By the way, this isn't the first time they've done it. Go back to Matthew chapter 9. <clears throat> Look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 34. It says, As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. So this isn't the first time that they've done this, but if you remember back when we were in Matthew and we came to that passage in chapter 9, I told you we're not going to go into it in too much detail because we're going to deal with it later. This is the night when we're going to deal with it later. Because here Jesus confronts their attitudes toward him, and they're saying that he was casting out demons by the prince of demons. But actually there's also a chance that they weren't really saying it loud enough to be heard by everybody. How do we, how do we know from our passage that there's a chance they weren't saying it real loud? Look at verse 25. Yeah, he's responding to their heart and their thoughts. By the way, keep that in your mind, because that's going to be very, very important at the end of our study. It will help us really understand and clarify all the deep stuff we're going to get into tonight. He knew their thoughts. They might have been saying it amongst themselves. They weren't saying it out loud real well, because Jesus is responding to their thoughts. Go with me to Psalm 139. And look at verses 1 through 4. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. 
David is writing about the fact that there's nowhere he can go that God's not. And he says, O Lord, Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. How many of you have ever heard anybody say, well, don't say it? Because if you say it, God may hear it. <clears throat> How many of you have uh, heard people say, um, I don't want to go to the doctor. I know something's wrong, but as long as I don't go to the doctor, you know, it, it, everything will be fine. It's the doctor who points. He says something's wrong. You know, you've heard people talk like that. Um, Jesus knows our hearts, folks. And just pretending it's not there isn't going to do you any good, just like having something seriously wrong and pretending it's not there and not going to the doctor won't help you. He knows your thoughts. He knows what's going on. He knows how you honestly feel. So for the years of Christians putting on the pretty face and dressing up in their suit and ties and going to church when their lives aren't what they're supposed to be and their hearts aren't where they're supposed to be, but being friendly. How you doing, brother? Good. How you doing, sister? Oh, God's good all the time. And that phoniness, unfortunately, that happens in a lot of our churches isn't fooling God. And in this instance here, the Pharisees, either murmuring or within their hearts, are saying, he's only doing this by the power of Satan. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, begins to deal with it. Now, <clears throat> so Jesus begins first to answer their thoughts practically. And then he gets to the truth of the matter, which we'll get to later on in our study. The practical way that he deals with their thoughts, of the, him, them accusing him of casting out Satan by Satan, is to say, hang on, think about this logically, what you guys are now saying in your hearts. Um, you're saying that I'm casting out demons by the prince of demons, or you're thinking I'm casting out Satan by Satan himself. If you've got Satan casting out Satan, you've got a kingdom divided against itself. That's not a good kingdom. That kingdom's not going to make it. Look at verses 25 and 26 again. He says, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand and if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? All right, so, by the way, let me just say in a real quick aside, that right there is why we need to really be praying for our country. With the division that's going on right now, and it's being fueled by lots of different groups and whatever, folks, let me just tell you, as you've heard me say for years, that scripturally, according to what the scripture says, it doesn't look good for America down the road, but the kingdom divided against itself will, cannot stand. And as you, if you've studied the scriptures, whenever God would bring judgment on a nation, does anybody notice how many times he would have them fighting themselves in that end of that battle? You think about that? Happens all the time. All of a sudden, these people are gathered together against Israel. All of a sudden, they're all turning their swords on each other. And even in the battle of Armageddon, if you go and read what's going to happen when Jesus comes and he meets the Israelites that have run out into the wilderness at the end of the tribulation period there in, in Basra, and he leads them away, and he heads into the battle of Armageddon on the way to Jerusalem, and he's defeating the enemies all gathered against Israel, and they're all going to turn their swords on each other. It's part of how God allows man to go down the path he's going to be. <clears throat> Think about your families. <clears throat> Excuse me, if you didn't have mom and dad keeping the kids from killing each other. Let's be honest. If your mom and dad weren't there to keep the kids from killing each other, what would have happened to all your families? <clears throat> That's why we need to be, <laughs> they'd be definitely smaller. Yeah. But let me just say uh, in the same way, pray for our country. Every kingdom divided against itself is not going to stand. 
Now, Jesus then says to them, think about it logically, guys. If I'm casting out Satan by Satan, this kingdom isn't going to last very long. And look at verse 27. Then he springs out something else here. Very interesting. Look at verse 27. He says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they'll be your judges. Now, this is a passage that's bothered a few people because they just don't know what he means here. Jesus then says to him, he says, hey, you've got disciples that are out there doing exorcism and casting out demons. If I'm using Satan's power to do it, whose power are they using? See, I want to lay this out for you and I'll show it to you scripturally. The Pharisees had disciples, just like Jesus had disciples. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. And those disciples would actually go out and cast out demons. And the Pharisees approved of it. They had no problem with their disciples casting out demons. So Jesus says, if I'm using Satan's power and your disciples are out there casting out demons, ask them whose power they're using. Let me lay out for you what he's saying to them. He's saying, they'll tell you that those demons don't come out unless God does it. They know that it's only being done by God, not Satan himself. So go ask your disciples whom you approve them casting out demons whose power they're using, they'll be your judges as to whether or not what I'm doing is of Satan or of God. Do you understand what he's saying? You've got no problem with your disciples casting out demons. They'll tell you this only happens by the power of God. Let them tell you whose power it is that I'm using. Go to Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> Acts chapter 19, look at verses 11 through 17. In Acts 19, verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. This is after Jesus' death, resurrection. He's gone back to the Father. The church is growing at this time. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that it, even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, adjure you by the Jews, Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <clears throat> now seven sons of uh, a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them and mastered them all and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, in the name of the Lord, Jesus was extolled. So these exorcists, these Jewish exorcists who had been casting out demons thought, well, we, we know that there's power in what God does through us, but now there seems to be even more power. I mean, good grief, this guy Paul's preaching in the name of Jesus, and they'll just take sweat from his handkerchief and touch somebody with it, and they'll be healed. And they thought, this is a greater power. So they try to, not knowing Jesus. By the way, that's what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. When you pray in Jesus' name, what you're really saying is, with Jesus' permission and authority. And so they say, we adjure you. This guy had, one man had a demon in him, and, he, and uh, he, uh, they said, there's seven of them. They say, we adjure you by the Jesus that Paul preaches, come out of this man. But because they weren't doing it in Jesus' name, because they had no relationship with Jesus, they didn't know him. The demon says, I know who Jesus is, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? In other words, you have no authority to use that name. And the scripture says that this one individual overpowered all seven of them, beat them all up so that they ran out of the house naked and bloody. Now, I'm a guy. 
And I like to picture stories like this, and I've pictured it a movie scene of all these guys running out going, yipe, 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 you know, and all this stuff and leaving their clothes behind. <clears throat> but at the same time, there were Jewish exorcists. We see that. There were disciples of, of the Pharisees, and Jesus says, your disciples are casting out demons. You haven't had any problem with that. Ask them whose power it is that does this. They'll tell you. It only is done by God. They tried to now do it by Jesus' name when they didn't have a relationship and it backfired on them a little bit. Now, the Pharisees would, of course, respond to their, that their disciples are casting out demons by the power of God. So Jesus tells them, in essence, ask your disciples whose power it is that's accomplishing what I'm doing then. Isn't that interesting? He says to them who were the Pharisees who thought they were the smartest. He says, you want spiritual insight as to what I'm doing? Go ask your students. They know more than you. You're going to see that come out again in our study tonight. But that's what he essence said. He said, first off, you accusing me of doing this by the power of Satan. That's logically stupid because you got a kingdom against itself. That's not going to work. On top of that, you got disciples that are doing this in the power of God. They know that this is done by the power of God. They're able to understand this. Why don't you go ask your disciples how this is done and whose authority it is? He humbles them with that. No, he wasn't telling them how to do their work. He's just saying, go and ask the people that you actually have no problem with them casting out demons that work for you. Ask them, they'll know that this only can be done by God. This can only, it's a good question though, Tim. All right, then Jesus goes on. Go back to our passage in Matthew 12. And he brings out this other point. He says, you can't overtake a strong person's house without someone stronger coming in and overtaking and binding him first. Look at verse 20, uh, 29. He says, how can someone enter a strong man's house and a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. In other words, y'all would agree Satan's powerful. He said, in order to cast Satan out, you got to have someone more powerful than Satan to come to get him out. But look at verse 28. We skipped over verse 28. But Jesus says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons. Remember, he's just said, ask your disciples. They'll know you that this is by the power of God. But if it's by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And here's where we're going to spend a little time tonight. Jesus, again, we lay the foundation. Jesus has said, silly to think that I'm doing this by the power of Satan, that the kingdom against itself, that's foolishness. On top of that, your disciples know that it's only by the power of God. Ask them how, what power I'm using to do this. They'll tell you it's, it's only God. And thirdly, um, if it is by the power of God, which your disciples will tell you that's the only way it can be done, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, and it's a stronger kingdom than Satan's kingdom. Because even though you've got a strong man, if you're going to bind him and get rid of him, someone stronger has to come in. In essence, Jesus is saying, if what I'm doing is by the power of God, listen, then the kingdom of God himself is in your midst right now. And it's not written here, but I'm going to show you scripturally. It's proven. He was also saying, and you know it to be true. That's where we're going to go. That's where we're going to go. That's going to be important for you tonight, by the way, as we deal with this whole blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's tied to knowing the truth versus being ignorant of the truth. Keep that in mind. It's tied to being knowledgeable of the truth versus being ignorant of the truth. Go to John chapter 3. 
Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, now there was a man of what group? Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, does he say, I know? We know that your teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus comes and tips the Pharisees' hand. In their meetings, they were starting to let on that they had to acknowledge that this is coming from God, but they didn't like it. As you're going to see, they're going to say whatever they want to match up with whatever is best for them, which is another problem that we have a tendency to do in the church as well, which we'll touch on maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But Nicodemus comes and says, we know you're from God because no one could do the things that you do unless God were with them. But go to John chapter 9. The Pharisees knew he was from God, but in John chapter 9, we'll start in verse 24. We're in the story where Jesus has healed this man who was born blind. And in verse 24, so the second time the Pharisees called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, and we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do, you want, why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Now, what had Nicodemus already shown us? They knew he was from God, but publicly, they weren't going to acknowledge that. We don't know where this guy comes from. Now, it's what's interesting. The man, verse 30, the man answered, why, that's an amazing thing. And what he does is he repeats their teaching to them. He says, that's an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, according to your teaching, Pharisees, that God doesn't listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you'd teach us? And they cast him out. Isn't that interesting? They already acknowledged they know he's from God. Nicodemus tipped the hand. In public, they said, we don't know where this guy comes from. The guy goes, well, that's crazy because you're the ones that taught us that God would only work through people that are on his side. So he's done this. No one's ever seen anybody heal a person that's been born blind. God's got to be with him according to your teaching. And they got mad. Oh, by the way, did you catch what's going on here? Some of their, quote-unquote, disciples were telling him that this is from God. I love that. That's a picture of what Jesus said in Matthew tw chapter 12. Go to Matthew 22. It gets even crazier. In Matthew 22, look at verses 15 through 22. We're not going to get into this whole story. I'm just going to pull out one thing from it. This is where the, the, the Pharisees kind of try to trip him up with the whole paying taxes to Caesar thing. So then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and don't care about anyone's opinion. Isn't that wild? These are the same people 
who the Pharisees know he's from God, won't publicly acknowledge he's from God, but they'll send their disciples to go and flatteringly say, we know you're from God because nobody could do what you're doing unless God were with them. And then they did the whole, tell us, what do you think, should we pay taxes or not? Because they thought they had him trapped in his words. Let me just say something to you folks, and I'm just going to let the Spirit take it from there. I'm not going to go any further because it would be, I just feel like God doesn't want me to go any further than this. Be careful. We do the same thing all the time. We have a tendency to say the right thing in the same right setting, but in other settings, we may say something totally different. Oh, maybe not the right thing in the right setting, but what we think is the right thing for that setting. How many of you have ever maybe shared something personal about somebody else that you weren't supposed to share. And then you quickly said, but I'm only telling you this so you can pray about it. And then that original person says, by the way, you haven't told anybody, have you? No, I haven't. And then you're inside thinking, man, I hope so-and-so doesn't let on that I told them. We have a tendency, all of us, to kind of say what look, makes us look good in each situation that fits our agenda. Be careful. We got that same problem within us as well. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. He already knows your thoughts. So if you've got issues, you've got problems, you're confused, you're hurt, you're angry, tell him. He's not going to be bothered by it. But the Pharisees knew he was from God, would not publicly acknowledge they knew he was from God, but they were willing to let his disciples go and say, we know you're from God, even though they didn't want that to be said by them. They knew the truth, but they wouldn't acknowledge the truth. Go to John chapter 5. Again, stay with me because we are laying a deep foundation to understand the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because we're going to deal with a couple of passages in closing tonight that have caused dissension in the church. Passages that have been used to show that you can lose your salvation. And when you put the whole of Scripture together, you're going to see all of a sudden, hopefully, them unlock. But the issue is knowing the truth and being willing to acknowledge the truth. In John chapter 5, look at verses 30 through 46. Jesus is speaking. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now, you sent to John, John the Baptist, and he's borne witness to the truth as well, but not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. In other words, no one could do what I was doing unless God were with me. Keep going. And as the Father, verse 37, and the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I don't receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. That's the Antichrist. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I'll accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe 
my words. So Jesus is saying, I'm here testifying that I am the one that I say that I am. And I'm from God and I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. But if my testimony was just myself, it's no good. Because you know, even in the law of Moses, it said that there had to be at least two witnesses for anything to be accepted. He said, but there's another that bears witness about me and his testimony is believable. Yeah, I'm not talking about John the Baptist. You listen to his testimony for a while, but I'm not even going to accept man's testimony because in order for you to believe, you're never going to believe because a man told you. You're going to believe because who told you? God the Father. He goes, the works that I do show that it's not me doing them, it's the Father doing them through me, and it's showing that he's testifying that I am who I am. And then he even says, oh, and you guys get all hot up about the Moses and the law, and you think you're going to be righteous by following Moses' writings. And like they said in Matthew 22, we're followers, sorry, John, in John 9, we're followers of Moses. Moses, the word of God, testifies about me as well. But you won't come to me. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 22. In Acts 2, verse 22, Peter's preaching at Pentecost. Listen to what he says. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by who? By God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. What's the rest of it say? As you yourselves know. In other words, while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit says to him, You, you do know. He's opened your eyes. He's shown you. You saw God do what only God could do through this man, and you yourselves know it to be true. Go to Acts chapter 10. Look at verses 34 through 38. Peter again, as he's dealing with Cornelius and his family getting saved, the Gentiles being part of the church. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee and after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Why? For God was with him. Again, you know. Haven't we sat around long enough in our Sunday school classes dealing with what about those who don't hear? What about those who have never heard? Listen to me, folks. Scripturally, there's no such individual. Go to Romans chapter 10. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We love to quote, well, how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? Look at Romans 10. It says in verse 13, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, stop before you read any further. This is where the preachers stop. This is what the preachers say. you got to get out and tell them. You better hurry up. Because how are they going to believe if they don't hear? How, how can they hear unless someone goes? But that's not what Paul's saying. If you keep reading, you'll see in the context here, Paul is saying God would never expect them to believe something that they've never heard. That's foolishness. And then in the very next verse, look at what he says. 
but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Listen closely, folks. Everybody hears. Everybody has their eyes open to the truth at some point. Scripturally, do we all get the same amount of light? Hopefully you understand the answer to that because we've dealt with that already. When Jesus says it's going to be easier in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than Capernaum because they've received more revelation and more light. But there's no such person in the world that hasn't heard in some way. Romans 1 says he's revealed himself through creation so that all men are without excuse. Romans 2 says he's written his law in their hearts, whether they've heard the law of God or not. He's written his law in their hearts. And then in chapter 2, verse 16, I think it is of Romans, he says that God will judge all men's secrets through Jesus Christ. As my gospel declares, isn't that crazy? We don't know how. But God would never hold them accountable for something they've never heard. And he would never have them believe something that they had. he hadn't sent somebody to go tell them. And he has been in his own power, in his way. Does he use us? Yes. Am I saying stop sending missionaries? No. People are still being born every day. More people still need to hear, and he uses us to go. But don't think for a second, as soon as we get it to them, then they'll hear. Or if we don't get it to them, they won't hear. Or that he's all got all these nations of people that haven't heard yet. That's not biblical. And there comes a point in every individual's life, in some way or another, in which God has shown them. There comes a point. Don't know when that is. People have tried to figure out the age of accountability and all this kind of stuff. Every individual will have an opportunity to relieve because at some point God will open their eyes. And that's what I want you to see. Go to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to do something tonight that is not typically what I do. I'm going to read two passages of scripture, and I'm not going to tell you what it means. You have to tell me. So get ready. I know some of you are saying, I just came to listen, Jim. I, I, tough. My job is to make sure you're hearing from God. I don't want you to be disciples of Jim. I don't want you sitting there in your notes saying Jim says this and Jim says that. I want you to be able to learn to hear from God yourself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you two passages of scripture, and I want you, I'm going to ask you to tell me what it says. In Colossians 1, look at verse 19. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself, what? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm not going to explain it. Let me just say it to you again. In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Christ, God reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling who? The world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
So we've seen in Colossians 1.19 that God reconciled all things to himself through Jesus' blood on the cross. And here we see in Colossians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19, that Christ, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What are these two passages telling us about what happened at the cross when Jesus died? Everything and everybody was reconciled. Okay, you just said something kind of crazy, Glenn, but you're right. Everything and everybody was reconciled to God through the death of his son. By the way, this is going to be really important to you. because You're going to hear something tonight that you probably never, ever heard. But first off, at the cross, the scripture says God reconciled all things to himself. Things in heaven, things on the earth. On God's side of the ledger, all of the world's sins were paid for. It is finished. It's finished. He's not pay, counting men's sins against him. Well, does that mean everybody goes to heaven? No. As you're about to see from the scriptures, there's only one sin that sends people to hell. It, the, the, the sin of what? Okay, right, but, but the sin of unbelief. You're going to see it in the scriptures, folks. Now, will they be judged for all the sins that they've done if they don't receive God's forgiveness on their behalf? Yes, but the reason they go to hell is not because they're a rapist or a murderer. All of that was already forgiven at the cross and covered at the cross. The reason people go to hell is because they don't believe in Jesus. That's it. They don't go to hell because they're rapists and murderers and all that kind of stuff. By the way, think how much Satan has messed with people. By ha how many people have you heard over the years say, well, God could never forgive me. I've done these horrible things. They don't understand the scriptures. He's already paid for that. It's already been forgiven. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he's given us the message of reconciliation. Here it is. Be reconciled to God. In other words, the message of the gospel is not God's mad at you because you're a horrible person. But if you ask Jesus to forgive you, God will change his mind. No, God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you while you were his enemy, while you were still a sinner. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for you. The message of the gospel is God loves you. He's already paid for your sin. All you got to do is receive that free gift. Can you imagine this Christmas if you've got family and friends or children or whatever and you've got all these presents that you've gone on all this effort to purchase and you've got them all there at the tree and it's time to open it up and they go, now we're good. How foolish is that? Let me show you what the scripture says. Go to John chapter 15. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 12, go to John 15, but in Matthew 12, Jesus said, all sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. And it was at the cross. But there's only one sin that's not covered by Jesus' death on the cross. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And you're about to see what that is. John 15, look at verse 26. John 15, verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper, this is the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will what? He'll testify. He'll bear witness about me, Jesus said. Go down to chapter 16 and look at verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Listen to the very next verse. Concerning sin because they what? What's their sin that he's going to convict them of? That they don't believe in him. 
Keep reading. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. In other words, he's not only going to convict the world that their sin is they don't believe in him. That's what he's going to reveal to them. That's their sin. He's also going to convict those of us who know him about what righteousness looks like because we won't, we, he's going to go to the Father and the Spirit will be the one showing us how to live our lives as well. And concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has, is judged. Folks, listen to what Jesus says here. He'll convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in him. Go back to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, in our very famous passage, John chapter 3, verse 16, keep reading with me though. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Here's the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, I know you know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. You saying that I'm casting out Satan by Satan, first of all, logically stupid. Second of all, your own disciples will tell you this is being done by the power of God. You go ask them. On top of that, if I cast out Satan by the power of God, which I just told you your disciples would tell you that's the case, then a stronger one than Satan has just come, and that means the kingdom of God himself is in your midst, and you all know this to be true. Whether you acknowledge it or not, that's your problem. And let me tell you, disciples, let me, he says, let me tell you, Pharisees, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, except this one. Every sin was covered at the death of Jesus on the cross except this one. Rejecting when the Holy Spirit draws you because it's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to who Jesus is and concerning faith in him. Go to John chapter 6. Look at verses 44 and 45. In John 6 verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day. Now, the question in Christendom is this. Does God draw everyone? Well, read verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they what? They will, how many? All will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Do you see it? Does everybody hear? Yes, in some way or another. And as we've already seen in our study, God will hold everyone accountable in accordance with how much light they've received. How much he's revealed to them, they'll be judged in accordance with that amount. In other words, everybody has enough light and revelation of who Jesus is in order to be saved. Everybody has that. But at the same time, we will be judged in accordance with the measure of how much God that if you've received more light, you're going to be held in higher accountability on the day of judgment if you reject more light. If you've rejected that light and it was a little amount, you'll be judged less. But there still will be a harsh judgment. But what is the sin that sends people to hell, folks? Not believing in Jesus. You've heard people say, well, I have a hard time believing in a God that would send anybody to hell. He doesn't. He's done everything in his power to keep them from hell. He's already paid for their sins himself. If people go to hell, they choose to on their own. Now, 
Go back to John chapter 9. We left off in that story at a very interesting point. John chapter 9. We'll start in verse 35. Remember, the Pharisees are talking to this guy who's been healed of being healed of blindness. He's been born blind. And he says, you guys are the ones who even say that no one could do these things unless God were with him. Now you're saying you don't know where he comes from. This is crazy. And they said, you're, you were steeped in sin at your birth. You're you going to teach us. And they cast him out. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Uh, the blind man answered, and he, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he did what? By the way, when he worshiped him, what was he acknowledging? That he's God. I mean, this guy had been taught by the Pharisees. He knew the law. You aren't about anybody but God himself. That's one of the first commandments. And he immediately begins to worship him. Keep reading, though. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into the world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Jesus said, I've come into the world so the people that are blind would be able to see. By the way, we've already seen him say, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who grieve, blessed are those who mourn for that. In other words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Everyone's blind. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone's guilty before God. I've come to open those people's eyes. But the people that say, I don't need him to open my eyes. I can see. The fact that you're even saying that you don't need Jesus, you're good, shows that you're still in your sin. You're still guilty. Why? Because he's opened your eyes to your need and you've rejected it. One sight, you can't claim ignorance. Nobody can claim ignorance. That's why it frustrates me so much to have heard Christians for so, so long say, what about those who have never heard when the Bible says they all have heard? Colossians 1.23 says, this gospel which has been preached in all creation. Now, I don't know how God's going to judge everyone's secrets through Jesus Christ, but don't we know that in the Old Testament, I'll get right to you, Michael, don't we know in the Old Testament that these people were saved by faith in God's provision for their sin? They didn't know the name Jesus, but he revealed enough to them that they knew, they understood. And all along, David says, it's not sacrifice that you're pleased with us. I give it. You're looking for a broken, contrite heart. Micah says, what are you looking for? What does God require? He wants you to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Hosea says, the righteous shall live by faith. It's been that way all along. Paul points out, Abraham was given righteousness when he believed God, not when he was circumcised. He believed God before he was circumcised. It's never been by the law. It's never been by your own goodness. It's never been by your own works. It's always been by faith in what God has revealed to you and your need of him to take care of your sin debt. How God reveals it to these parts of the globe that haven't got as much light as we have, I don't know, but the Bible says he has. And we need to leave it alone. Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I've heard that Muslims have been uh, being shown uh, Jesus through dreams. Yes, it's happening a lot. Exactly, exactly. He's, he, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He can do whatever he wants. But everybody has at some point before they die had their eyes opened. And their sin is not believing in Jesus. Go ahead. It's interesting when, the, when he does reveal himself through visions and stuff, they know who he is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. You going to say something, Glenn? Go ahead. Well, yeah, I don't know where it says it, but it's written on your heart and in your mind before you were ever created it. You were created with it in you. That's your soul. It comes from God. So it's in you, and you just got to learn to accept it in 
James even talks similar to what you're saying. James even James chapter one says to receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. So they used to say like, well, you're in Africa, you don't have any white, you have it wrong. They know right from wrong is it. They yep. were created with it. Go back now and look closely at what Jesus says in verse 32 of chapter 12. Matthew 12, verse 32. I'll read verse 31 tied with it. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against this whole, the, the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. All right. Now. There are people that have heard about Jesus and they've rejected him. Does that mean they can't be saved? No. Just because you've heard about Jesus doesn't mean that you have heard about Jesus. Who's the one that opens our eyes? It's the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. That's very important. Jesus himself said, if I just bear witness about myself, even though he was God, my testimony is not valid. But there are others who testify about me, my father and the spirit. They're the ones you need to be paying attention to. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me show you what Paul says about himself. If you don't know anything about Paul, let me just catch you up real quick. His name was Saul before he became Paul, and he was one of those Pharisees, actually one of the best. And he heard about Jesus. He knew about Jesus, and he was out to persecute all who would believe in him, have him put to death or prison. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, listen to what Paul says about himself in verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer. Remember, Jesus said all blasphemy will be forgiven. I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted what? Ignorant and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love what Paul says. He said, guys, don't think that if you heard about Jesus and you've rejected it, that you don't have a chance to be saved. Look at me. <laughs> I had heard. I, I knew about him, but I rejected it. But I did it because of ignorance. I, the, God, the spirit of God hadn't opened my eyes yet. What does Paul say? We've looked at this over and over. I'm going to keep reminding you of this. He said, look, if what I'm saying to you makes sense, God's opened your eyes. Just because you heard it doesn't mean that you heard it. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a hearing and then there's an understanding. And that understanding is when the spirit of God goes and you all of a sudden now realize it. When that happens, you know the truth and you better respond. There's lots of people that have heard the preaching and it sounds like foolishness to them. Why? Because it's spiritually discerned. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the man without the spirit doesn't understand the things of the spirit. They're foolishness to him. But the moment that all of a sudden you get it, was it because you were smart and you finally figured it out? Or the fact that the spirit of God at that moment opened your eyes? And we got to admit, that's the scripture teaches. He's the one that does it. But it's possible, as you're about to see from scripture, to hear 
and have God open your eyes and you still reject it. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. But Paul says, you, look at me, I, I'm an example of God's mercy and his patience. So I keep preaching to everyone. I never am ever going to assume like, well, that person's heard. God's done drawing them. I'm going to preach to people till the day they die because only God knows when their time's up. Only God knows whether or not he's opened their eyes and, and they've, they're accountable. But in Hebrews chapter 6, look at verses 4 through 9. These passages have been unfortunately used to say that you've been saved and you lose your salvation. And if you put all we've looked at together, you'll know that there's a difference. Let me show you. Hebrews 6, look at verses 4 through 9. The Hebrew writer says, For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then fallen away to restore them again to repentance." since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And then he gives this illustration to help us understand what he just said. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it's cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed and its end is, end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation." Do you see what he says? He said it's impossible for those people who have had their eyes opened, whom the Holy Spirit, they've tasted of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean they were saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit. But if someone actually understands the truth, who did that? The Holy Spirit. They've tasted. It doesn't mean they swallowed. But if you've tasted of the heavenly gift and God's opened your eyes and you walk away, there's no other salvation. He's not talking about people that have been saved and lost their salvation. And then he proves it by saying, land that falls, or sorry, rain that falls on the land, and some of it produces a crop that's useful, and others produces thorns and thistles, time will tell whether or not what they've received from the Holy Spirit they've responded to appropriately or not. It's the parable of the soils. Exactly. So Hebrews 6 is not saying you can lose your salvation. People have said, well, they tasted a heavenly gift. They've, they've shared in the Holy Spirit. No, no. That doesn't mean they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit and sealed by the Holy Spirit. They tasted of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. Go to Hebrews 10. Let me see, see it even more. And I'm going to give you a little quiz on Hebrews 10. See if you grasp where we're going here. Hebrews 10, look at verses 26 and following. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Before I go any further, what is the sinning that we go on doing? Rejecting what? Rejecting Jesus. Remember, all sins covered. There's one sin that the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world about. Not believing in Jesus. If you keep going on in that way, deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse, folks, do you think punishment will be, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? And has outraged the spirit of grace. Remember Colossians 1.19? That God reconciled all things to himself through Jesus' blood. And the spirit of God says your sin's already paid for. All you have to do is by faith receive what Jesus has done and say yes. 
And if they have had their eyes opened, they've received knowledge of the truth, they understand what it takes to be saved and where their condition is, and they know that it's Jesus alone, and the Spirit has opened their eyes to it, and they walk away. The people that broke God's law in the time of Moses just had two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment is going to be deserved by the one who said, I know your son died for my sins. I believe and understand all of that, but I reject it. You say, Jim, can someone really say I believe that and reject it? Well, doesn't James say in the book of James that, that uh, you say you believe, but even the demons believe? It's possible to believe and not be saved. Let me show you even further proof. Go to John chapter 2 and look at verses 23 through 25. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Remember how we said at the beginning, he knows your hearts? He knows your thoughts? These people say, hey, we believe. Jesus says, actually, you don't. So here's the good news. When you do respond, though, in faith to God's opening your eyes through the Holy Spirit, and you do receive Jesus as your Savior, that same Spirit that opens your eyes comes to indwell you. According to John chapter 14, Jesus said he'll be with you how long? Forever. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. John chapter 6, Jesus said, I will lose none that the Father has given me. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says, For you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit was a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. I want to close tonight with Romans chapter 8. Folks, the good news is that same spirit that opens your eyes when you respond in faith and God knows that it's real faith, he seals you with his spirit. As you're turning to Romans chapter 8, let me just throw you another verse you might want to write down and look at. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, the scripture says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? That's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Listen to what Paul says here in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we're debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if you, by the Spirit, you've put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Beware of those who say, Look at this passage. They tasted a heavenly gift. They deliberately went on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. They were saved and they lost it. No, no, no. John chapter 2 says there are people that believe, but Jesus did not entrust him because he doesn't seal the deal. That's the issue. Has he opened your eyes? If he's opened your eyes, God, you better respond because God's the only one that opens people's eyes. Not Jim Johnson or any preacher or anybody. By the way, it takes the pressure off of you, doesn't it? All you're to tell him is this. Believe in Jesus. I had the privilege, and I'll close with this. I had the privilege on the cruise ship, not only of teaching the Bible studies 
but also it was set up that while I was there, I was able to preach to the crew who were there on the ship who are Christians. It's a small group. And you want to talk about some people serious about their faith and their walk with the Lord. They get up at like four, five, six in the morning to start their shifts. They work till late at night when the meals are finally all done. And they meet at midnight from midnight until two to gather to encourage each other. And I met with them on Monday night and on Thursday night. And as God was having me preach to them from the story of the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and the demoniac in Mark chapter 5 and how God chases us and pursues us. God opened my eyes to something in those passages I've never seen before. And I was so excited. The woman at the well, when her eyes were opened, ran into town and said, could this be the Christ? This man's told us everything, told me everything I've ever done. The demoniac, the day that his eyes were opened and he comes to faith in Jesus, tries to get in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, go home to your family. Listen and tell them all that I've done for you. Did you catch that? They both started telling other people about Jesus the exact same day they got saved. And how many of us sit back and say, well, I don't know enough to really talk to people yet. Or, and I haven't been to school and I haven't had the training and the witness training yet. Folks, listen to me. All he wants us to do as his ambassadors is tell them Jesus already paid for all the sins of the whole world. The only sin that sends people to hell is rejecting Jesus. Go find out for yourself. That's all we got to do. All the woman said was, could this be the Christ? And Jesus told the other guy, just tell him what I did for you. What did the man who had been born blind say? I can't tell you a whole lot about him. I'm not a theologian, but I was blind and now I see. Go ahead. Exactly. I love that. Did you? For those that, he just told him his story. And we've turned it into you got to know the Roman road, and you got to know this, and you got to know that. Folks, take a deep breath. This salvation thing is the spirit of God's work, and He's capable of getting it done. He just wants to use us, and all we're to do is go out and tell Him what He did for us. I love that. Great way to end. Awesome. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. I love you. <laughs>